The following program is being brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check our additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the following program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management. Help! I need somebody. Help! Not just anybody. Help! You know I need someone. Welcome to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. Family caregivers don't have to be alone in their experiences. You will hear from experts and other caregivers facing the same issues that you may be facing. Now, here is your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Welcome to Episode 318 of Family Caregivers Unite. This is Dr. Gordon Atherley, your host. I'm a physician retired from medical practice. Our topic today is Red Cross Restoring Family Links. Conflicts, disasters and migrations separate families from their family members, from their loved ones. These separations cause much suffering for individuals, for families, for communities and for populations. And these separations prevent family caregiving. But some, at least, of the suffering can be repaired by restoring family links. The Restoring Family Links program of the Red Cross has a long and distinguished history, and it's needed as much now (coughs) as it ever has been, which is why our topic, Red Cross Restoring Family Links, is so important. To discuss it, our guest is Shannon McMillan. Now, Shannon is coordinator of the Restoring Family Links program of the Canadian Red Cross. She's worked for the Canadian Red Cross for 25 years. From 1987 until 1997, she coordinated home support services for seniors for the District of Algoma at the local branch in Sault-Saint-Marie, Ontario. In 1997, she moved to Ottawa and the national office where she joined the Restoring Family Links program. And as the coordinator, she works with the manager, Christine Bloch, and a team of four volunteers. Her work included or has included attending an annual meeting of the European Restoring Family Links Network in Germany. The network includes Canada, the US, Australia and New Zealand as well as the tracing department heads of all the European national societies. So welcome to the show, Shannon. Thank you. Thank you for asking us. Great. Now, first question for you. Please tell us a little bit more about your career and your own experience of family caregiving. Shannon? Well, uh, as you mentioned, when I began with Red Cross, the the programs that... um, I worked in the home support programs for seniors were designed um, to assist families in allowing seniors to stay in their home and live independently for as long as possible. So what we did was um, we would we had staff who would do small chores around the house like uh, lawn cutting, snow shoveling, repairs, that sort of thing. Um, and the, the other program within that uh, was also 
uh, we worked with Postal Alert, a program called Postal Alert. It was run by Canada Post, and people could sign up. Um, you know, a vulnerable person, an elderly person, uh, was Canada Post. And the letter carrier was then aware that they were delivering mail to an address where there was a vulnerable person living alone. So if the mail wasn't picked up, they had a contact number that they could call so that somebody could go in and check on the person. And where Red Cross came into that was there's no mail delivery on weekends and statutory holidays. So we had a team of volunteers who would call seniors uh, on weekends and statutory holidays just to make, do a check, make sure they were okay, and if not, call a family member to come in and check on them. Very interesting. A very interesting social story, that one. Now, let's talk about some history. Please highlight for us the history of the Red Cross itself. Shannon? Uh, well, it's a huge movement, uh, but it, it was initiated by a Swiss businessman, uh, Henri Dunant, who came across um, the aftermath of the Battle of Solferino and stopped to help wounded soldiers. Uh, he gathered the villagers, and, and this sparked in him uh, this idea that there should be an independent, impartial, neutral agency that would look after battle wounded, regardless of, you know, with no side in any conflict. Uh, so he came up with, with two really, his, the two main ideas that, that came out of that were um, that, you know, he wanted a treaty that would oblige armies to care for all wounded soldiers and for the creation of national societies that would help uh, the military medical services. Uh, so that's really how the Red Cross movement started and how we ended up today with 187 uh, national societies in 187 countries. Um, so, um, and then during the First World War, uh, the International Registry of POWs was, um, was formed by the International Committee of the Red Cross, or the ICRC, uh, and all POWs are registered there. Um, during the Second World War, um, the ITS, International Tracing Service, uh, was founded in Bad Arlton, and the International Committee of the Red Cross took over the uh, leadership and management role of that. Um, and they house all of the civilian records related to World War II, so, um, you know, detention records as well as forced labor, uh, all of those kind of things. And, and those are still working documents today. We work with those. Um, as far as the Canadian Red Cross goes, uh, we came into being via an Act of Parliament in 1909. So we just celebrated our centennial. And... Um, for that, we have a volunteer who is a, a retired historian, Alan McCullough, and he wrote a book entitled The History of Restoring Families in Canada, which traces our services back to the Halifax explosion, the work we did in World War One and World War Two. So if anybody's interested in, in that, uh, the book is available through our website. Um, Restoring Family Links itself. Look, before we go, go on to that, I just want to interrupt you okay. with a quick question. Shannon, the very first foundation of the Red Cross, uh, you named a battle, but you didn't give us the date. What was the, what date are we talking about for that initial foundation when the, the man was looking at these wounded soldiers? When, when, oh, when was it? Okay, I should know that. <laughs> it was... Uh... <laughs> 
Would, okay, wait, 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 maybe I do know. 18, okay, don't worry. No, 1859, no, I'm sorry, I'm sorry. 1859, right, yes. right, so that's, yes. yeah, yeah. Now, yeah. let's go now to the story of restoring the Family Links program of the Red Cross, because okay. that's what you were about to tell us, so please tell us that now. Shannon? Okay, uh, restoring Family Links dates back to the Franco-Prussian War, and uh, it was the the ICRC was given lists of prisoners, uh, and then they were able to contact families and facilitate the exchange of messages between prisoners and their families, which alleviated a lot of, of uh, worry, of course, you know, if you can at least stay in contact with your family. So that was the first Restoring Family Links, really, that, that went on, was then. Um, not so much the history, but did you did you want to talk a little bit about what the program is or does? Or um, yes, we're go we're going to actually talk about some of those things. But why don't you carry on just by giving that as that sort of broad picture of how it operates and whether you want to do that for Canada or generally? I'll leave to you. But yes, let's hear some more about it. Okay, so so if if we think about like Henri Dunant, his vision was that there would be a national society in all countries. That, that would do this work uh, in wartime. And eventually, uh, national societies, um, like in Canada, Red Cross was very active during World War I and World War II. Most national societies were. Um, but then they ended up with, with legions of volunteers who still wanted to do things, and that is where a lot of our other programming comes from, um, water safety, first aid, those types of things. Um, like I said, in, in Canada, uh, the first um, evidence that we could find in this history project of restoring family links in Canada was the Halifax explosion. And then the work that was done in World War One. Uh, the, the, we had an office at that time uh, within the British Red Cross, and there were Canadian volunteers who visited wounded soldiers and, and uh, facilitated messaging between families and, and soldiers overseas. Just let me ask you, the, the Halifax explosion, some of our listeners may not be aware of that. What, what was it? What are you talking about in that? Uh, uh, okay. I'm... It was a ship, wasn't it? Yes, it was a ship and it was in the harbour. And I can't remember what actually caused the explosion. but uh... Okay. There was a collision, I think, from... Yeah, there was what, a collision between that's boats, right. and, and I don't know what was on the boats that caused the explosion, but yes, there was, uh, yes it, it, it was a major, one of the, probably one of the biggest disasters uh, in Canada. It, it caused huge loss of life, didn't yeah. it? Yeah. And therefore, the work of the Red Cross, especially the Restoring Family Links program, really mm -hmm. would be fundamentally important to... Right. What we'll call the rescue operation. Well, what what uh, the thing is that the name of the program has changed over the years, but the service is basically the same. the The goal is to uh, allow people to to know the fate of their missing loved ones. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, in Canada today, if there's a disaster, we call that registration and inquiry, and it's done by our disaster management teams. Uh, where they're just registering people, and then you can call in and, and see if your relative is safe in a shelter or, you know. Um, and restoring family links is a little different in, in that there's an international element to it. 
and uh, there's an actual trace that happens. Like we okay. actually have to go and look for people. So now we're going to be talking more about that in the um, upcoming segments. But right now. Uh, this is the time where we have to take a short break, so we'll do it now, and then we're definitely coming back. So this is Dr. Gordon Atherley, and my guest is Shannon McMillan. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We're coming back. Stimulating talk it gets those synapses in your brain inspired really fast. All the time. The number one Internet talk station where your opinion counts. VoiceAmerica.com Do you ever just ask why? If others, especially children, ask you the same question, how do you answer? Is life a whole bunch of questions just waiting for the right answer? When you tune in to The Mickey Ellison Show, you'll find out how to find the answers and open up so many more questions as you do. At what point in our lives did we stop answering the why questions and just settle for whatever answer we've been programmed to settle for? Never stop asking why. Join Mickey Ellison every Wednesday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific on Voice America Variety. Want to help make our world a better place, but not sure where to start? Tune into Better Worldians Radio with the creators of the social game on Facebook called A Better World. Join hosts Ray, Mary Sue, and Gregory Hansel, who will inspire you to make a big difference in small ways. They'll speak to experts, authors, volunteers, and everyday people who are changing the world daily. Better Worldians Radio is heard live every Thursday at 11 a.m. Eastern Time, 8 a.m. Pacific Time on Voice America Variety. Follow us on Twitter at Voice America TRN. Get the lowdown on guests, new shows, and your favorites. That's Voice America TRN. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Shannon McMillan. Our topic is Red Cross Restoring Family Links. Now, Shannon, let's talk about the work in detail of the Restoring Family Links program. And the first question I want to ask you is this. What are the most, nowadays, the most common causes of the separations of the people whom the Restoring Links program serves? And can you tell us something about the effects of the separations on the families and the loved ones? Most common causes of the separations. Shannon? Okay. So uh, they would be conflict, disaster, and migration. Uh, And I would have to say... uh, that migration is probably number one today. Uh, people are more and more people are migrating by irregular means, uh, which makes them extremely vulnerable. And and separation um, is is so easy. You know, lost uh, if you lose your phone and all your contacts are in it. Uh, there's so many ways that people can get separated. Um, in terms of the effects. Um, 
I, you know, I've been doing this for 15 years, and I think it is the most basic human need to know that your family members are okay. Um, I think in North America, we take it for granted, so we don't always recognize this. But if you think about a disaster, if you're in a disaster, you may make it to a shelter safely. But if you don't know where your child is, you don't really care about shelter. You don't really care about food, which are the things most people think are most important. You want to know where your child is, you know. Um, also, um, in, in, you know, if you lose a family member in a conflict situation, you're fleeing conflict and you end up in a refugee camp uh, and suddenly you're told, okay, the family's going to resettle and you end up in a new country, you still don't know where that family member is. It, it creates a barrier to, um, you know, just getting on with the basics of life. Uh, you know, you, you're in a new country, you may require language lessons, you may, you know, you might need to further your education or find a job. How can you do that when you've got a, you don't know the fate of that missing family member? You know, how do you function day to day? Um, and I, I think this was demonstrated uh, for us. I mean, it does in every disaster. You, you, you know, we get that from people. Uh, but uh, during the bombing of Baghdad, uh, during the Iraq invasion, um, people were lined up in the streets during that bombing outside of the ICRC office trying to get messages out to their family to tell them that they were okay, except it wasn't safe to be on the streets. And so at that time, the ICRC was going just down to get people off the street, just taking names and numbers. Who can we call for you? Um, and then that's what started for us, what are known as safe and well calls, where, you know, your relative was safe on this day. But it's that important that people were willing to risk their lives to get news out, you know. So I, I, the effects are... I mean, that's that's the tip of the iceberg. It's it's hard for most yes. of us to even imagine, not knowing. Yes, what, that's what a very is. powerful way of describing the fundamental point that yeah. we need the contact. And when we don't know wh what's happening to our loved one, our family, um, then we've lost the most vital thing. Yeah. Now, my next question to you is, Shannon, what is a family link? How does the Restoring Family Links program decide that a family link has been lost? And what's the procedure if the person for whom a link is sought is too ill to be connected with or detained in some mm -hmm. way that they really can't m respond? Long okay. question. What do you think? Okay. okay. Um, well, family link is any contact that allows you to know the fate of your family member. So it could be mail, it could be email, it could be a phone call. Uh, it's not necessarily a, a physical connection. Um, and we accept family as defined for by local custom. And what that does is it gives us uh, a little latitude uh, in accepting cases so that a person doesn't have to be related biologically. Um, but there should be a family link there. So, for instance, it could be two children who grew up together in a refugee camp, um, two soldiers that were detained together for long periods of time. So, you know, that's just that family connection, you know. Um, and what we look for in determining uh, if a family link was, was um, broken is we ask for a date of last contact and a reason for loss of contact. Because we can't
can't look for a family member if there's no prior relationship. So those two pieces of information tell us, yes, there was a relationship before contact was was broken. So we don't look for biological parents or adoptees. Um, um, You know, we don't... Well, I can get into more of that later, but... um, Okay, let me just there, prompt there you. There has to be a prior relationship. So what sure. a person does, uh, if, if you in Canada, uh, a person in Canada is looking for a relative in Congo, uh, they go to their local Red Cross office, they'll fill in a tracing request uh, with them. Through our national office, we'll send it to the ICRC delegation in uh, Kinshasa, and mm-hmm. they will do the search. Uh, that's where Henri Dunant's vision is. It makes us uniquely qualified to do this work because we have 187 international partners plus all of the ICRC delegations in conflict zones. So no matter what country your relative is missing, there's a pretty good chance that, that we're going to have a national society there. And because Restoring Family Links is a mandated program, it's um, every national society has to offer it. Right. So now, I, do, I just want to interrupt, network. just to, mm-hmm. to ask you that this, this, what might be a difficult one, and that is, what if somebody actually is there, the family member, but they're too ill to be connected with, or worse still, they're locked away, they're detained in some way, so that they cannot reach back to the family member who's trying to reach them. What, what, how do you deal with that situation? Well, that, that is actually um, one of the strengths of the Red Cross because of um, the fundamental principles that operate that we that we work with: neutrality, impartiality. The International Committee of the Red Cross has access to many detention centers. They're allowed to go in and facilitate, just like they did with POWs back in the First and Second World War, uh, to facilitate the exchange of family news. So people can, in detention, that's actually a service that we offer today is called a Red Cross message. It's like a postcard. Um, And it can only contain personal and family news. Uh, It's open, so authorities can read it. People understand that when they write it. Uh, But if a person is in detention, that's a means of communicating with their family. They give the Red Cross message to the Red Cross. The Red Cross passes it on to the family. The family gives a reply. And then on the next visit, the ICRC will take it back. So detention is usually not a barrier to restoring family links. That's immensely important, isn't it? Because without the prestige and the local presence of the Red Cross, um, connecting with people in the situations you've just been talking about would be, I would imagine, next to impossible. Now, I want to ask you to talk about uh, the end stage of restoring Family Link. Um, That is, somebody who's out there in another place has identified the person, family member, that they want to be contact, connected with and contacted. How does Family Link, Restoring Family Link program, do that contacting of the final step? And who, are, who and what does that work involve? Uh, 
it depends. Uh, I can tell you on our end what happens uh, if somebody overseas is looking for a relative in Canada, and all national societies operate pretty much the same. Uh, we would contact the person. They have to give us a written consent that they agree to release their contact details to the relative. We will not release any information on somebody without that. Um, and then once they've agreed and they want to be in touch with their relative, we will we'll give them the contact details of the person looking for them, what we call an inquirer, and we send the person's contact details to the other national society who will in turn uh, give it to their inquirer. Just to ask you, how long does that process typically take? Um, can you put a number to it in days, weeks? Um, it, it, or it really depends. There's different types of services. So uh, a Red Cross message, um, you know, if you've got a good last known address uh, or, or you know where the person is detained, they're fairly quick. Um, I mean, it's not as quick by today's technology for sure, but, you know, it's within months. Um, we also have something that's called the Health and Welfare uh, Report. So if you're in regular contact with a relative in another country and suddenly you can't get a hold of them, uh, you can ask for a health and welfare report. And uh, what that means is that, that that report will go that day, that request, and uh, usually it's three or four days max where we get an answer back because they're very easy to do because you've got a valid last known address and you've got a valid phone number usually. And so you can check on the person. And what those usually turn out to be is the person's either gone into hospital or a long-term care facility and that information just hasn't reached the family yet. So those ones are very quick. An actual tracing request, um, you know, sometimes the information that people are able to provide is, is very uh, sparse. It's not really enough to do a trace, so we're, um, you know, particularly in a conflict zone, people are traumatized, uh, you know, they don't have a memory of, of uh, all the details that might be useful in a search. So sometimes, um, we usually say six months, but it, it, some of them do go on for years. Yeah. And sometimes you have to go to more than one national society or ICRC delegation. Actually, that's quite common. Right. especially in conflict situations, because people just flee, and you don't know what country they're going to end up in, so you send them to all of the surrounding countries, those requests, so they can sometimes that, take a long time. And that really is very painstaking work, isn't it? That's work yes. that you do very thoroughly, very yes. patiently, and with a great deal of determination, because I can hear it in the way you're describing the work. This is something that is to be done and it's to be done properly and it's to be done as effectively as it can be done and as quickly as it can be done but we know it's difficult and Shannon that's a very powerful message now it's time we take for us to take the break again so we'll do that this is Dr Gordon Asley and my guest is Shannon McMillan you're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. Streaming live. The leader in Internet talk radio. VoiceAmerica.com 
There are over 140 million products manufactured worldwide. It is impossible to know the ingredients in these products, especially those made overseas. Stan Salat Jr., President and CEO of the HSF Mark and the Counterfeit Mark Alliance, is the host of People to People, working together for your safety. Stan believes in our right to know the type and amount of hazardous materials in consumer products and whether they are counterfeit. Find out how you can protect yourself every Tuesday at 2 p.m. Pacific Time, 5 p.m. Eastern on Voice America Variety. Tired of lackluster results with your marketing? Craving more leads in your business? Tune into the Mojo Marketing Edge with the team behind Mojo Global Marketing, Ira Rosen and Corey Michael Sanchez. Winners of the Marketer of the Year, they will show you how to generate daily leads, build databases of raving fans, and close deals faster than ever before. See what's hot right now and how you can tap into it to generate an endless supply of customers and clients. The Mojo Marketing Edge can be heard every Monday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time, 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. Become our friend on Facebook. Post your thoughts about our shows and network on our timeline. Visit Facebook.com forward slash Voice America. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Shannon McMillan. Our topic is Red Cross Restoring Family Links. Shannon, now let's talk about the results of the work of the Restoring Family Links program. First of all, please highlight for us or summarize for us some recent achievements of the Restoring Family Links program. Some highlights. Shannon? Uh, okay. And while well, this last year has been an extremely busy one for us, um, uh, we're always trying to build our capacity. So uh, we've just implemented a new database. And that might sound dry and boring, but it's so um, necessary in the work we do. Uh, and the International Committee of the Red Cross has developed this database that all national societies will use so that we're, we're consistent, that we're collecting the same information. Uh, we're quite optimistic that this is, is going to improve uh, and simplify our work. Uh, we also um, did a needs assessment uh, in Canada for Restoring Family Links this year um, to find, to, to try, in the past, um, you know, we had, we had no problem with uh, our caseload. We had all kinds of people coming to us, and it was constant, uh, you know, just trying to keep up, trying to keep up. What we're finding is with uh, new technologies, and we're happy to see it, our caseload is, is going down because people are able to um, find people much more easily now with the Internet and what have you. Um, the difficult part is that the, the people who come to us the cases are far more complex. Um, so we did this needs assessment to try to determine what the needs are uh, in, in our group of potential beneficiaries. So, uh, And they're just calculating the results of that now, and we're quite excited to see it and to see where we should be focusing our outreach uh, messages. Uh, 
we never did outreach in the past because, um, well, honestly, we didn't have the capacity to keep up with what we had. So, uh, and so now, uh, and I think most national societies are doing that to make sure that everybody, that we're reaching the most vulnerable and that everybody knows about the service. Right. So that, now, that's kind of exciting, yeah. Very much so. That's Those are achievements um, that... M- tell me that you're an organization that's moving ahead, that uh, things are changing and you're responding to the change. Now, I'd like to ask you for some recent examples of parts of the world in which the Restoring Family Links program has been involved and then explain for us the ways in which the program has operated in those places. In other words, name a place and tell us how it worked. Shannon? Well, right now, right now in the Balkans with the flooding, uh, and uh, Syria, I mean, anything that's in the news, pretty much, Restoring Family Links is there. Uh, one of the things, is when it's a, a, a sudden conflict or where it's a disaster situation, uh, the International Committee of the Red Cross has formed uh, RFL Specialist Pool, and that's a pool of delegates who are highly trained in Restoring Family Links. And they can go in and assess what the RFL needs are immediately. And this um, has has helped. I, I can't even describe how much that has helped in recent years because it used to be, uh, especially in the case of disaster, um, you know, the country that's affected, the, that national society is usually concerned with search and rescue in, in the initial hours, you know, search and rescue, um, restoring family links within the country, within the disaster area. And then, you know, other national societies, especially places like Canada, Australia, the U.S., where you have these diaspora groups, um, you've got families here who are frantic for news, and there used to be a delay because we had to give that national society a chance to to basically get their bearings in a disaster. And now they have these RFL specialist pools. So they could they were deployed in Haiti. Uh, they were deployed um, for any of the recent events, too. And it's helpful for us because it, it keeps information going to the international network then. And we can give information to the public on, you know, how, well, how they can go about uh, restoring family links. Um, usually governments will put up numbers and, and we can get all of that information and pass it on to the public. Right. Um, I want to ask you just a follow-on question to that. Mm-hmm. Um, please give us some recent examples of restoring family links program's successful restoration of links for Canadian families separated from family members and loved ones. In other words, forgive me using this language, some some local stories that mm-hmm. illustrate the work you do. Shannon? Okay. Um, well, a lot of the work we do, and, and this is probably part of the last question as well, is uh, we have a lot of cases from the Congo, of course, uh, in that conflict. Um, and we have had many successes there, uh, Somalia, and they, there was a case in, uh, uh, it was a case, the woman was from Somalia who was separated when she was nine from her family. She wasn't sure if they had survived the, the attack that separated them. And um, we got a Red Cross message from her mother 15 years later. She was nine when the, the separation happened, 
And when we went to her apartment, we found her. And when we went to her apartment, they said, oh, she's in the hospital having a baby today. So <laughs> on that day, you know, she found out that her mother was indeed still alive. And uh, we were able to facilitate a phone call between the two of them. Uh, so that was pretty pretty exciting. Um, uh, in Toronto, we had a um, mother and son reunited after 60 years. That was a World War One case, and he had been left as an infant and uh, found his mother. In. And he actually came from Poland and visited his mother in Toronto. Um, we had uh, two children return to their mother. Uh, they were also separated in Congo. Uh, they were reunited at the Toronto airport. Now, and I should be clear, Red Cross does not actually um, reunite people, uh, but we support people through that process. Um, right. So, so you know, paperwork, that sort of thing, we can do, but we can't. We can't bring your relatives from another country. That's a misconception a lot of people have. Uh, it all has to go through the regular immigration route. Um, uh, we had one case where somebody had sent a Red Cross message and it came back, um, back to sender, which means they couldn't locate the person that this, this individual was looking for. Uh, and it was, uh, parents, uh, that he was looking for. And then it was two years later that I got an email from a delegation in, um, the Middle East asking, they said, we know we don't have enough information to look for this, this person, but what would happen if he came into the country this way? And uh, it turned out it was the person who had sent the Red Cross message. So he was reunited almost immediately with these people. So it doesn't always happen overnight, and sometimes just because a case is closed, that we're not actively looking doesn't mean that that connection can't be made because of databases, because the first thing we do is always check the database to make sure the person's not already in there. Right? Shannon, now I'd like to ask you a question about the way in which restoring the Restoring Family Link program relieves the suffering of families and their loved ones. And you, in the first questions I was asking you, you made very clear that these really are sufferings. This is the loss of something that's most fundamental to people, to human beings. Um, please tell us about the way in which the program you run relieves that and other types of suffering. Shannon? Uh, well, I think that... Um you know, it, it's comments that we get from clients, you know, when when they don't know the fate of a missing loved one. Uh, as one client put it, she said, they're neither alive nor dead. You know, that's a terrible place to be. Um, and we have, on at least three occasions that I can just recall off the top of my head, delivered Red Cross messages from people who the person getting it thought they were dead. They thought that person was dead, and then they get a Red Cross message. And it's not a coincidence that a lot of Red Cross messages say, I'm alive, or thank God you're alive, in the reply. You know, it's... Um, and I think just 
sometimes even to, I remember um, sisters came in uh, during the bombing of Baghdad. And, I mean, everybody was frantic. There was no news coming in or out. Um, I mean, the Red Cross at that point, we there was no communication. We'd, we'd get these safe and well lists that we could call people, but if your name wasn't on the list, like, we couldn't get in touch with the ICRC because, well, they were run ragged. But, um, and I remember talking to, there, there were sisters that came in and just to say to them, you have done everything you can. You know, because I think people... When you're in that state, I don't, you know, where the person's neither alive nor dead, your mind is spinning. What can I do? What can I do? You know, so I think just to to know somebody's looking, that you've done everything that you can, um, helps. In other words, just to, yes, just going to say to you, that last comment you made, that is that sense of this is the last step. Um, that we can take, and the very fact of taking it is a relief. Is yeah. that right? Yeah, I think so. Um, and just to know you have done everything that you can, you know, it's and that we will do everything we can. Yeah, yeah. It's emotional in a very powerful way, but it also speaks to the importance of this program that you you're running, the Restoring Family Link program. It also speaks to the point that it'll go on being needed. It'll, as you were saying before, perhaps evolve a little bit in the way things are done. But the basic need is always going to be there. Different place, different ways, but it's always always going to be there. Do you agree with me on what I've just said? I, I, as long as there are disasters and conflict, there's always going to be that need. You know? Yeah. Unfortunately. Yeah. And therefore the need for the Red Cross and yeah. the program. Right. Good. Okay. Now, uh, we've come to the end of this particular segment. We're going to carry on with the um, segment four in a moment. But meanwhile, I'm going to take the break. So this is Dr. Gordon Asley. My guest is Shannon McMillan. You're listening to Family Caregivers Unite on the Voice America Variety and Empowerment Channels and CJMP 90.1 FM Community Radio. Please stay with us. We will be back. The Internet's number one talk station. Number one talk station. VoiceAmerica.com Think of the world 50 years ago. Now think of this same world and how it'll be 50 years from now. Did you know that if the world's population continues to grow at its current rate, our children and grandchildren will only have 25% of the resources per capita that our parents and grandparents had? We must preserve the foundation of a quality standard of living. That foundation starts with Go Green Radio. Join your host, Jill Buck, for Go Green Radio every Friday at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on Voice America. In the spirit of Have Couch, Will Travel, Dr. Carol Lieberman creates a haven of sanity in an increasingly insane world. Each day we are bombarded with news of events that have never crossed our wildest nightmares. Society is spiraling out of control and everyone is reeling from it. But now there's an answer. The best way to keep sane in this insane world is to tune in to Dr. Carol's Couch on Voice America. Dr. Carol, a certified media psychiatrist, will broadcast live from her Beverly Hills office every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific time. Call or log in and get help with whatever is sending you reeling. 
whenever you need a soothing voice to calm and advise you. That's Dr. Carol's Couch every Tuesday at 1 p.m. Pacific Time here on America's Voice, voiceamerica.com. We're making it easier to listen to the Voice America Talk Radio Network live wherever you go on iPhone, BlackBerry, or Android. Download it from the Apple iTunes App Store, BlackBerry App World, or Android Market. You are listening to Family Caregivers Unite with Dr. Gordon Atherley. If you have any questions or comments about our program, please address them by email to docg at familycaregiversunite.org. Now, back to Family Caregivers Unite. Welcome back to our listeners to Family Caregivers Unite and Shannon McMillan. Our topic is Red Cross Restoring Family Links. Shannon, let's talk now about the ways in which people can request the services of the Restoring Family Links program and help it in some way. So first of all, quick question, I hope. How should people request the services of the Restoring Family Links program? And what type of information will they be, will they be asked or expected to provide? Shannon? Well, of course, the more information a person can provide, the you know, the greater the chances of success are going to be. Um, but at the very minimum, you know, you need the person's name, uh, last known address, last known phone number, um, any contact details that you might have had for them, um, a date of birth, um, mother's name, father's name. It's important in a lot of countries. Um just, you know, the circumstances around the loss of contact uh, in the case of conflict, like exactly describe what was going on when you got separated. Um, and But, I mean, we often get Red Cross messages, for instance, where um, the address is Canada slash USA. Well, that's a pretty big... And all you have <laughs> is the person's name. You know, uh, I mean, we'll do what we can. We we try Canada 411 if it's an unusual name or, you know, um, we we do at least make an effort to, to try to deliver the, the message. But um, the more information a person can provide, the better it is. Right. Now, how can people help the Restoring Family Links program and how can they get involved? Who, they, who do they get in touch with if they want to reach out and help you and your colleagues in some way? Shannon? Uh, they, well, I should say that 98% of the Restoring Family Links work in Canada is done by volunteers. Uh, so we have, in terms of staff, uh, we have a half-time coordinator in four locations. And for the most part, the rest are volunteers. So um, it, it is a huge time commitment, though, because we ask that people commit to at least six months because it, there's a lot of training that goes into it. Um, and we ask for a minimum of seven hours a week. I will say that the volunteers that we have, if I, when I look at our national team, the four volunteers that we have, uh, one has been with us for 12 years, uh, another one has came in right after tsunami, and a year later the other one came in, and they're, they're all still coming in week after week <laughs> doing Restoring yeah. Family Links. There's definitely something in this program that keeps people you know, just wanting to do it. And everybody who works in this program is so passionate. 
Um, of course, this program is, uh, I mean, the service is absolutely free of charge. There's no charge for anything. So, and that's worldwide. There, there's never a charge for restoring family links. So we're a non-funded program. Uh, Red Cross pays for us to do this work. So, of course, like any nonprofit, donations are always appreciated. Right. Now, I want to stay with this question. Um, please give us a little bit more of a picture of who the volunteers are. Don't, I'm not asking for information that would identify mm-hmm. them, but men, women, age, backgrounds, anything like that, just, just to give us an impression of who they are. Shannon? Well, it's all over the map. <laughs> if you go across <laughs> the country, uh, there are, uh, particularly in Western Canada, there's a lot of younger volunteers. Um, young retirees are just seem to love this because I think it's a nice transition from work life into, you know, uh, volunteer life. Um, our volunteers were uh, all came in as, as uh, young retirees. Um, it's... There's no gender. I think the majority are probably women, but there are men who work in the network. Um, all ages. It really has to do with the time commitment, eh? Like, it's, I think it's more difficult for students. Uh, but there are other ways of getting involved, too, if you can't make that commitment to casework, which requires the six months and, you know, uh, so many hours a week. Um Things like the needs assessment, things like doing outreach, which is uh, better suited maybe to students because they can do it in the evening or on the weekends. Or um, yeah, there are a lot of ways that people uh, can get involved. And the way to do that would be to go to the local branch in their community and um, ask about it. Right. Very good. Now, last question. Unfortunately, we're coming to the end of this um, great episode. But my last question to you is this. What is your message, your message, for family caregivers in Canada who are separated from their family members and loved ones by conflicts, disasters, or migration in other parts of the world? What's your message for family caregivers here in Canada? Shannon? Well, that we're here, and we've always been here doing this work, for one. Uh, but also, we, we try to do some messaging around prevention, Uh, particularly for disasters, so um, that people have a plan, the same as you have a plan for getting out of your house, that you have a plan for restoring family links, that every family member has the name of a friend or relative in another location that isn't going to be affected by the same disaster as you, that every family member knows, call Aunt Sue, tell her you're okay where you are and how we get in touch with you. It really is a huge relief and it's something I think we don't think about because who, who thinks a disaster is going to happen, you know? So uh, I think prevention is, is uh, the number one thing. And and with migration, you know, like emailing yourself your contact details in your destination country because what we have seen time and time again uh, is all a person has is a phone number for the relative when they arrive and their luggage gets stolen or they lose their cell phone. And once they've lost that, you know, they're at the Red Cross in the Netherlands trying to find the relative in Canada with very little information. So if you email yourself, even if you lose everything, you can go to an Internet cafe. You can check your email and get those contact details. Are you going to go as far as saying that before any of us go on any kind of trip, 
whatever the trip is, a, a flight, boat trip, travel, that we should draw up this kind of plan you've been talking about? Is, is that something you recommend? Well, I think the more prepared you are, the better, for sure. Um, uh, but I think in terms of uh, disaster planning, I mean, you know, that's a Red Cross message in every way, that people should be prepared, yes. uh, you know, in the event that a disaster happens, that you have food and water and all of those things. But you should also have that plan for family reconnecting should you get separated during a disaster. And it happens so easy. Dad's at work, mom's at work, the kids are at school. Disaster hits. Right. You know? And and so if everybody's agreed that you call the same person and then that person holds all the information where you can find your family. And if you don't, I mean, you know, eventually you can make your way to a shelter, you can be registered by the Red Cross, but, uh, you know, by, by putting that plan in place, you're going to get results much quicker. Right. It's going to be far Good. less uh, stress. Unfortunately, we've come to the end of this fabulous story, and I hope we'll get an opportunity to talk about it some more, Shannon. But meanwhile, thank you very much for sharing with us the stories, the story, the story, the importance, the way in which people connecting, human beings connected, connecting with their own is so powerfully important. And you've also told us the story of the professionalism the, the effort that the you and your colleagues throughout all the um, national centers for um, reuniting families, the way they put their professionalism into the system, making it work. So a mixture of congratulations and keep up the good work because it's vital. Now, I want to say thank you to our listeners. We'd like to hear your comments on this episode. And from our listeners, I'd like to hear about ideas for topics or if you're interested in being a guest on the show. Our next episode will be Care and Treatment for Advanced Alzheimer's Disease. Please join us, same time, same spot on the internet. Talk to you then. Thank you again for joining us this week for Family Caregivers Unite with your host, Dr. Gordon Atherley. Please tune in again next Tuesday at 10 a.m. Pacific Time, 1 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Variety Channel. And until then, we hope our program will help make the coming week easier and more hopeful. And I do appreciate you being Thanks again for listening to the preceding program brought to you on the Voice America Variety Channel. For more information about our network and to check out additional show hosts and topics of interest, please visit voiceamericavariety.com. The Voice America Talk Radio Network is the worldwide leader in live Internet talk radio. Visit voiceamerica.com. The views and ideas expressed on the preceding program are strictly those of the host or guests and do not necessarily reflect the views and ideas held by the Voice America Talk Radio Network, its staff, and management.